Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Pioneers and Pathfinders. Today's episode takes a break from our normal format. Last week, I had the opportunity to participate in a conversation over the implications of ChatGPT with Kurum Gore of Verizon and Amy Young of Sally May. The conversation was broadcast live for ACC members. In case you don't know Kurum and Amy, let me introduce you to them. Kurum has a deep background in technology and innovation. His sweet spot is the intersection of law, technology, and business. At Verizon, he leads legal for their chief product development officer and the technology development organization, including Verizon's 5G labs, innovation partnerships, augmented reality, virtual reality business, and emerging tech groups. In addition to other outside activities, he's also the entrepreneur in residence at the Stevens Venture City for the Stevens Institute of Technology. Amy, who moderated the conversation, is an experienced technology executive and thought leader with extensive experience in disruptive technology, digital innovation, and other strategic initiatives within organizations across all company life cycles. She has a track record of success in transformation, technology products counseling, and B2B and B2C settings, leading significant operational initiatives, strategy, data governance, and data architecture, among other things. The conversation, as you might expect, focused on the basics of ChatGPT, but I think Kurum and Amy's insights give a valuable perspective on the implications of generative AI broadly, as well as ChatGPT in particular. Given the interest in the topic generally, we're republishing the conversation for listeners of Pioneers and Pathfinders. For those of you who want to watch the conversation, particularly if you're an ACC member, there's a link in the show notes to the ACC version of the conversation. Fair warning, it's behind the ACC paywall. We started, as you might expect, with introductions, but after introductions, we began the presentation by playing a video of an interaction with ChatGPT. Now, obviously, in this audio format, we have to edit out that video. Nevertheless, I think I can summarize the points made so that the subsequent discussion follows logically. We started at the beginning. For those who may not be familiar with ChatGPT, we asked the program to explain to the audience what it is. We literally asked the question to ChatGPT, what are you? And we got the following answer, and I'm quoting, ChatGPT is a state-of-the-art language generation model developed by OpenAI. It uses a deep neural network trained on a large corpus of text data to generate human-like text responses to a given prompt. The model has been fine-tuned for various language generation tasks, such as answering questions, generating summaries, and composing coherent text. If you found that confusing, we did too. So we then asked the question, can you give that to us in layperson's terms? And we got the following answer. Sure, ChatGPT is a computer program that can understand and generate human-like text. It's like having an AI assistant that can answer your questions and even carry on a conversation with you in writing. Now that made more sense to us. So we then asked it to generate an IT services contract, which it did in the blink of an eye, with all sorts of disclaimers, by the way, that it's not a lawyer and not offering legal advice. We similarly asked it to generate a clause within the IT services agreement, an indemnification clause to be precise. It generated that in the blink of an eye as well. There are a few points to the video that I just summarized, all of which would be apparent to any of you that have used ChatGPT. The first is the speed of the interaction. The answers to the questions were virtually instantaneous. Second was the conversational nature of the interaction. 
You can see that in our back and forth over the definition of what ChatGPT is. In the view of many, it is the human-like interface that gives ChatGPT such power, and conversely, such risk. Finally, there's the iterative nature to the interaction. The program remembers your prior questions that you've put into it and builds on those well as immediate interaction. It's a fascinating development in the world of technology and AI in particular, and set us up for an interesting conversation. Let me now turn the conversation over to Kurum. So I saw some uh, uh, comments in the chat about whether ChatGPT can be sarcastic. And, and the answer is it absolutely can, right? And so one very fun thing you can try out is write me or generate for me a sarcastic uh, confidentiality agreement. And it, it's just absolutely hilarious. So my, my background uh, before you know becoming an attorney uh, is, is computer science. So I've kind of been really curious and just following this stuff for, for some time. And if you go back about a couple of years, there were similar tools from OpenAI, which is the developer of ChatGPT, out. But you would notice that when you asked it a question, it would start making sense. It would be very, you know, it's, it's reasonable. And then it would just become absurd, you know, when you get to the third, fourth, fifth line down. And so there's two pieces to, to ChatGPT. One is that the model itself has improved so much. Um, and number two, like Steve, like you're saying, is the accessibility. Um, anybody can start using it. You don't need a background in it. It's going to contextually remember what prior prompts, what prior inputs you gave. So if you put in a query, you can start refining it based on what the inputs, the outputs are that it generates. More critical here is that ChatGPT or the underlying model GPT-3 understands nothing. It does not comprehend anything. Um, it is not thinking. It is not uh, understanding a cat versus a dog. It knows none of these things. And like you said, Steve, it, it's basically a model which has absorbed and filtered and pattern recognition through an immense amount of data, you know, taken from the internet, um, which comes with a few uh, wild cards, I think, right? And has come up with a predictive model. Like, what is the most sensical or statistically likely acceptable word in this sentence? And it'll figure out each word as it kind of goes along, right? And so no comprehension, but an incredible predictive emulation of how, you know, humans might answer something sarcastically or not sarcastically based on prior contracts. Perhaps it's, it's, it's ingested and uh, it's an incredible tool. Me personally, I think that it's an absolute game changer. Is it perfect? Is it always right? Absolutely not. Right. Perhaps the the you know I've read that the uh, accuracy of it is more like eighty five to like ninety two percent. Can you trust the outputs that it comes? Um, no. Right. Certainly not in a legal context. But it's pretty damn good, and it might be even good enough for certain applications in the legal uh, in the legal field. Kerm, just to jump in really quickly, because I think this question yeah. just came in on chat, which I think is particularly on point, which is what makes this particular version of chat GPT as compared to previous iterative AI so materially unique? Um, it's a great question. Thanks for asking it, Hamlin B. So this this version, well, GPT-3 works on a very large parameter set, meaning the number of words it's predicting ahead are greater. But from my perspective, that's not the core of what makes this so interesting and why it's captured the public imagination so much. It's the chatbot interface, right? It's the ease of accessibility. It's that you can have a 
uh, a single conversation in which you improve and iterate and you need to know nothing about how the underlying technology works. And, and that's really what's, what's amazing. You know, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give an example. Um, a friend of mine asked me to review uh, a cover letter of hers for a, uh, a job application in the legal field. And so I'm like, this is a great, great opportunity for ChatGPT, right? And uh, maybe it'll be more interesting. So first entry, I told ChatGPT about the candidate. Second entry, I told ChatGPT about the, um, the job description. Third, entered pieces of the resume. Fourth, entered her draft cover letter. And I said, you know, take all this together and revise the cover letter. And it came out with a revision. Next piece, uh, emphasize certain leadership skills, different revision. And you keep iterating without caring for what the underlying mechanics are, or, you know, there's no computer science required. There's no under, there's no uh, insight into the innards. It's the chat element, which is really groundbreaking because of its accessibility. And I think that's really what's moving it forward right now. Yeah. One of the, let me pick up on that, uh, Karen, because that's, that is the amazing piece about this uh, particular development, but it also brings with it certain risks because as you said, the programming doesn't comprehend anything. Yet the interface is so intuitive and so conversational that users are likely to forget the fact that they're dealing with something that doesn't comprehend and begin to take the information at face value. And particularly in the legal context, that's a that's a significant risk. The other point I'll make is that in many respects, we're we're almost asking the wrong question with Chat GPT. It's it's based on uh, GPT 3.5. 4.0 will be out shortly, and then 5 and 6, which from everything I've read are going to be quant yet quantum leaps more. So what we're really glimpsing is the future. This is not a finished product. This is not the end point. It's likely to get more powerful. It's likely to be trained in particular domain areas of expertise, sure. law, for example, medicine, to incre- increase the power of it. Steve, maybe you can go into a little bit more what this might mean for the legal profession itself. Yeah, I think this is an enormously significant development, uh, both from ChatGPT and then the iterations that are to follow. I think it has significant implications for training of lawyers. There's already a lot of debate and discussion around the implications of ChatGPT in the educational context for both law school and non-law school essays, writing exams, paperworks, what's plagiarism, what's not. So it's going to raise a whole series of issues of how do you train people? What do you train them on? But it's also going to, I think, create enormously powerful tools to increase efficiency of delivery of legal services, particularly in areas where we've already seen tech come in already because these areas are relatively stable, trust under states practice, for example, relatively stable law. They're going to be areas where this will be a tool for lawyers that properly use can greatly enhance productivity and, and effectiveness of delivery of legal services. And I think it's going to be particularly important for small firms, sole practitioners. I think it has enormous potential to help deal with the A to J gap, quite frankly. I mean, I know we're focused on corporate law here. The other piece I'll add, it's not really on our topic, is particularly in corporate law, whether it's a legal department or a law firm. We perform business functions. We have accounting functions. We have reporting functions. We have business needs. 
this has enormous implications for marketing, for financial reporting, and for the darn thing apparently writes code. So this has enormous implications and how it's yet to be seen how we use it. You know, it's it's the way I think about it, why I think it's such it's such a big deal, right? Is now, you know, we all have to some extent either Siri or Alexa or Google or whatever it might be as assistants. And 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 I'm sure you've all noticed how more often than not, how incredibly useless they are as assistants, right? It's good for, you know, setting the timer, checking the weather, but imagine a future where you have an assistant that can remember all of your previous questions, has ingested over time all of your emails or your writing styles or, you know, whatever it might be, your essays that you've written, blogs you've written, whatever it might be, and you can now ask it to generate three ideas in your voice, based on your voice, for a new blog post. And then the next follow-up question is, please uh, write the summary of that blog post after it gives all the topics, you pick a topic. And then from there, you, you start iterating and you start improving it. You put it back into the system, you improve it a bit more, you put it back to the system, you improve it a bit more. And what I think we'll find is that number one, there'll be incredible efficiency and also more content being generated, assuming that you are the editor in the loop. And as we go forward in that, we'll also find that there are groups that have and use these types of tools and groups that don't use those tools. And there will be an advantage gap between those two, whether you're using it for marketing, whether you're using it for initial drafting, whether uh, you're using it to just generate ideas, whatever it might be. And, and it'll just be such an uneven playing field for folks that don't embrace this type of technology. No, I think that's right. It brings with it, um, you know, significant, you know, questions about impact on the economy, what people are doing for how people are earning their living, sort of beyond the scope of today's conversation, but this emerging technology. And, and I should say, we're talking about open AI, which has created chat GPT, but big tech is making, which is a huge investment from Microsoft. But Google apparently has its own large language model, AI under development. Meta has, has tried to bring out theirs. This is not the only game in town and we're seeing enormous technological advances being being brought to bear by investment of a lot, a lot of money. Steve, you're certainly on point for identifying that this is only accelerating the amount of investment in this area of technology. Uh, let's focus on for the next few minutes, um, and then I'll ask one more question uh, until we get to time, is some of the additional limitations and considerations of ChatGPT. So there are a lot of really good um, and fulsome observations in the chat about how this might impact legal, et cetera, what what are limitations and considerations? Maybe you can kick us off with at least identifying some of them, or at least as we see them today. Yeah, and we've, we've touched on a few of them. The first one is the information is not always accurate. And I don't mean from a stylistic standpoint. I mean, sometimes it's substantively inaccurate. I asked it to write a marketing blurb for our firm. And it was a very well-written marketing blurb, but it got our offices in the wrong cities and the wrong number of offices, which... I'm pretty sure a marketing person wouldn't have gotten that wrong anyway. So because it's an important limitation and because the interface is so intuitive and so conversational, it's going to be a challenge 
to make sure the lawyers using it use it appropriately and don't get deceived into accepting it at face value. It also requires enormous computing power. So you begin to think, okay, how do we want to bring this into our legal department or our law firm and use it to create our own base of contracts, for example? I'm sure there's going to be SaaS providers that come out. Uh, OpenAI has invested in a startup called Harvey that's intended to do exactly exactly that. But bringing it in-house and creating is not going to be the easiest technological function at all. And the kind of work it does well, which is that stable practice areas, basic routine work, it's not for heavily complex intuitive work because as Gurm says, it doesn't comprehend, it doesn't intuit anything. It's giving you statistical modeling. Brings with it, develop questions, we touched on this before, questions with regard to the development of lawyers, the training of lawyers, the creation of skill sets that you need to operate at higher levels. Yeah. And I saw a couple of questions in the chat. So, you know, one, you know, can you use this for legal research? I I don't think so. It's finding statistical patterns and the information that's ingested doesn't mean that information is correct. Right. So can you use it for legal research? No. And then I saw another question, which was, uh, or, or comment that it's, you can use it for creating boilerplates. Yes, that's true. But you can use it for improving your own boilerplate. Does it have the negotiated terms? No. But you could potentially use it for idea generation for counter proposals, right? Like, you know, they're pushing back on this provision. Let's play with it. Let's see how it kind of gets the juices flowing in terms of what might be a good counter position. So it's truly, I mean, think about it from not as a solver, but an enabler for you to do higher level work, right? Or potentially instead of starting from a blank page, maybe we don't need to start with blank pages anymore. Maybe we can start with a 50% draft or 25% draft, the quality might vary. And, but to Steve's point, as these systems improve, the quality might get better also. But I think what's going to be passe is starting from a blank sheet of paper. And that's the, that's the biggest uh, accelerator here. Well, on this note, we've got three minutes left. Um, So Steve, let me start with you. Observation on impact of chat GPT, an observation that people can take away, maybe a prediction if you are so <laughs> so lucky or scared as to make one. <laughs> I, I don't know about the prediction point other than sort of what Kerm said, which is th- this technology is only at the beginning. It's not at the end. And if what you see you think is awesome, wait six months, a year, mm-hmm. and the speed of development is only getting faster and faster. And so I think to the extent I predict anything, I predict that if the legal industry is any past is prologue, we'll be debating chat GPT while they've got GPT four and five out. So we'll be running behind the curve. But I think that this has enormous implications for the industry. And I think that legal departments can embrace this as one of the tools that they use to bring efficiency and effectiveness into their legal department. I think it will enhance contract administration. To Kerm's point, you're no longer starting from a blank sheet of paper. And I think that it should create enormous additional efficiencies in the delivery of legal services. Kerm, last word? Uh, Sure. So think of the pros and cons of pro se folks who are representing themselves in some proceeding using this tool. Number one, what they might put in in the, in, the, in the legal research that they rely on may be rely on may be incredibly incorrect. So that's a, the downside. On the upside, 
what they might present might be of a incredible quality higher than what they currently can do. And if you imagine whether it's like a like a prison library that has this tool accessible, what is the quality, aesthetic quality at least, of what they might put in front of the court? And I think that will be a game changer if you think about the lack of credibility sometimes that pro se defendants have in terms of how they're presenting their information, right? For whatever bias folks, you know, on the other side may have. And I think you really need to think about, let's, let's forget how lawyers might use it. Let's think about how clients might use it on their own. There are a lot of pros and cons to it, right? But, you know, if a client wants to do a FOIA request, do they need a lawyer or can they generate one from uh, using this tool? Thank you, Karam. There are so many additional thoughts, applications across the board, whether or not it's uh, broadening access uh, to Karam's last point, to accelerating our businesses, to Steve's point, to improving our ways in enabling our work, as well as the feared replacement, as, as many of you have chatted in. If you would like for us to continue pursuing this, we can in a panel, please let us know and we'll be delighted to put that next one on. In the meantime, I hope the Snackable was useful to you and giving you some exposure on ChatGPT and what the implications are. Thanks so much to Seifreth Shaw, ACC LDMN's sponsor, and of course to ACC Law Department Management Network for putting this together. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.